Well, amen to that. Uh, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. Don't get too excited, Zeke. Um, <laughs> one day I'm going to psych him out, and I'm going to go. You can go. I'm kidding. Everybody but Zeke can go, and he's going to be like, "Oh man, no, he's not either. He's just going to go. He's just going to run. He's going to be like, forget that." Anyways, um, all right. So we have much to celebrate today, and uh, uh, but we also have some people I just thought I would mention. We have some Easter birthdays today, and so Scott uh, is, he, I'm not going to say what he's turning today, but Scott's birthday is today, and um, hmm? 39 again, again, yeah, 39 again. Axel, um, I don't know if Axel's in here, if Axel's in a room and he's in a class, but Axel, his birthday t- is today. And then there was one other birthday. Who was it? Uh, Michaela's birthday's today? Yesterday. yesterday. Michaela's birthday was yesterday. That's right. Vicky's birthday uh, is today. So happy birthday. I mean, what an amazing day to have a birthday. And uh, so happy We're not going to sing. I would sing, but it would be amplified, and that would not be pleasant. Um, yeah, yeah, Don has a button. He can turn me off real quick. All right. Uh, so each, each Easter, uh, we tend to talk um, about the same thing, don't we? Uh, we talk about the resurrection for good reason. We have been in a study of the Sermon on the Mount, now, this is our 16th week, and we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And so some of you who are like, Mark, um, you really preach a long time. Listen, this, this was one sermon. Like, this was one sermon Jesus preached, and, and we're on part 16. So um, I feel you should give me a break um, on that, all right? But I did consider it's Easter, he pretty Friday. Well, we've got coffee out there, and we're going to have communion. I don't know that it's going to fill your stomach, but yeah. Josh said, didn't he give them food? Like, yeah, Chick-fil-A. We can't have Chick-fil-A because it's Sunday. So anyways, um, all right. This is Easter. This is a serious time of celebration. We've got to stop all this tomfoolery. All right. Um, but I decided I want to continue with Sermon on the Mount because if there was one place at the Sermon on the Mount that probably more than any other would be fitting, be fitting, of an Easter celebration, it is probably this one. So um, we're going to to be in Matthew chapter 7. We are beginning the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount as it is given to us. And this is what it says, beginning with verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not... Uh, Give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. All right. 
I feel like this falls, I don't feel like I know, this falls under the level of Jesus' teachings in which, just as last week we talked about the lullaby effect, we read this so often that we just read over and go, oh, yeah, 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 don't judge. We got it, we got it. And we use the scripture in just that manner, and we will say, don't judge. Now, normally, when do we say that to people? <laughs> like, like when they're judging us, right? And maybe even rightly so. We are rightly being judged. And, uh, but we tend to quote the scripture in order to get the heat off of us. Don't judge. Don't judge me. And that is what Jesus is saying, but it's also so much deeper than that. And if we come through and we read over this and we simply walk away with don't judge, we're going to miss really the beauty of what Jesus is offering us in the kingdom. And we have to remember that this whole sermon is a sermon on the kingdom. This this is a, a message that he's giving to announce not only that the kingdom is here, This is him saying, this is what the kingdom is about. And if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, this is what you're going to be about. When we looked at the Beatitudes, we recognized that the Beatitudes certainly are things that we can aspire towards, but they are not, that's not how Jesus used the Beatitudes. He didn't say, now go out and be poor in spirit. He said, for you who already are, the kingdom is for you. And so there's a part in all of this teaching in which we have to be separated between those who simply say, you know what, that's a good idea, or I guess I'm supposed to believe that, and those who say, Jesus is everything for me. And Jesus is saying, if I'm everything for you, if, if the kingdom is everything for you, if you really are, are, are not only bought into this, but you believe this to all be true, this is how you will live your life. And he comes to this portion in chapter 7 in which he says, do not judge or you will be judged by the same measure in which you judge others. Now, the way I want to walk through this is I, I, I do think there's some clarification and some explanation we can do, but I basically want to walk through a number of questions that this begs us to ask and then do my very best to present you with an answer, even though the point of Scripture is not really for me to give you an answer as much as it is for you to come and wrestle with and to figure this out and to say, I I think in this moment in my life, this is what God's trying to tell me through this passage. I think I think in this moment, which is why we can read the same passage in different life moments and walk away and say, I think this passage is actually telling me this right now, because this is really the way Scripture is meant to be read. We interact and engage with it in our moments of life, and it moves us in some way towards the kingdom. Or we choose not to. But what is Jesus talking about? In, in kind of the individualistic world in which we live, in which we are primarily concerned with making sure we have ours and we're taking care of ourselves, uh, it's very easy in our faith to follow that same mindset in which my relationship with Jesus is mine and it's private and it's just me and it's just me and Jesus. And a lot of people will have to live that way if they're the only believer they know and they have no opportunity to bump shoulders with somebody and say, hey, let's talk about this Jesus thing together. Uh, there are people that literally do have to walk this path in a very lonely way. And, and Jesus says, for some of you, this is the way. And when Jesus says you have to be willing to hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister, I think that is what he means, not an actual calling to hate your family. Jesus didn't hate his family. But instead, he's saying, when you follow me, and if this kingdom is what you want to be a part of, some of you are going to have to 
do it in a way that your family may even disown you. And in that part of the world, many do. When you begin to follow Jesus, you're disowned. And he's not calling us to hate. He's calling us to be serious and vigilant about this faith. Either be all in or be all out. Just let's not kind of straddle the fence. In the same way, Jesus is not calling us to live individualistically when we have the opportunity to to live out our faith in community because I can tell you living in community is way better than living just by yourself. And Jesus knew when he began to teach about what the kingdom was going to be and that the community was super important. If you'll remember, there were two great commandments. And the first one, can somebody name it for me? It is love God. And the second one was like it, which is to love others. If you follow Jesus, you will deepen in your love for God and you will deepen in your love for others. You will not continually pursue a life of living your faith out individualistically. And Jesus knew that. And he knew he was calling us to live it in relationship with people. And he knew also what was going to happen if we took him up on this offer. And that is that there would be problems. (laughs) And one of those problems were some of us were going to look down on others and we're going to think they're not very good Christians. And so he's addressing it right up front. And I, I want you to keep in mind, this is, he, he's not even called his disciples yet. Like this, Jesus is just starting out. Jesus has just been baptized. He's just come out of his 40 days in the desert. He is just starting out. And he's announcing this is what this is all about. He's also going to say everything that has ever been in the scriptures is also pointing to this same thing. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about community, not not individuality. Community brings problems. A lot of people look at the church and they're like, I don't go to church because the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And then we'll say, oh yeah, I know, we're all hypocrites. As if admitting it is enough, right? But there is a truth to that in which the church is a messy group of people that are coming together doing community in a messy way. But over time, we grow deeper and we grow closer, and we express more authenticity with each other, which Jesus has already spent a good amount of time in the sermon saying, live authentically, do not live your life in such a way that you have to pretend to be somebody else. Just be yourself. And in the church, when someone comes in and they're going to be themselves, sometimes we're like, whoa, 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 can you be someone else for a little while? I don't, do you, does anybody ever feel that pressure? I, I've got to be someone else when I'm at church? Yeah. Can you imagine how a guest feels? Someone who's not been coming to church and they walk in and they're like, I don't know what these people are going to think of me. I don't know what these people are going to want from me. Jesus knew there were going to be problems and he's addressing one of the biggest ones right up front. So what does it mean to judge? What's he talking about here? And it's very easy as we drive around our city and we see all kinds of billboards right now and little yard signs and people are running for judge and attorney general and all these different positions to somehow miss what Jesus is saying based on our contemporary understanding of what a judge is. And typically the the word for judge that we see in the Greek is the word krino. And it literally means to judge between two different things. So... Jesus is not simply saying, do not judge between two different things, as if when we leave here today, we're going to say, what should we do for lunch? 
No, we can't, we can't, he said, don't choose. As if we can't make choices. And in our contemporary context, and even in there, would literally be the person in which when you had a problem and there was a stated law and someone broke it, you would come to the judge and they would choose, did you break the law or did you not? And if you did break the law, what would the punishment be? You know as well as I do, that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. As if judging not means we're no longer going to uphold some level of common morality or some, some level of holiness in which Jesus has been teaching, he, he will teach on for the rest of his earthly life. He's going to teach on this morality in which we should not only follow, but we should hold each other accountable to. But when we begin to think about what does it mean to judge, you... You may not be able to put it into words, but I bet you've already put it into feelings. Because you know what it feels like to be judged. And when you get judged, it's not typically somebody who's sitting there saying, you did this right or this wrong, or this is the punishment because you broke this law. But instead, it is the sense in which somebody looks down on you as if you are less than them because of whatever failure is in your life. Failure is a universal part of life, isn't it? Don't we just all fail all the time? We fail at things we attempt. We fail upholding sometimes the values in which we hold dear. We fail sometimes in loving others, and sometimes we fail in forgiving others, and sometimes we fail in loving God, and sometimes uh, we fail ourselves. And Failure is a universal part of life. It's something that we all have to struggle with and go through and, and we'll deal with on different levels. Some failures are very very private in which nobody knows our failures unless we tell them. Other failures are very public, and these are probably the ones Jesus is talking about, the very public failures in which someone looks at you at your failure, you did not uphold the standard, and you are less than me. But it goes so so much farther than that because when Christians do it, and whenever we judge someone else, we bring with it the idea that not only have you failed, and I see it, and I think you're less than me, Jesus is on my side and he's against you. And we have communicated that to the world. And even to a group of people that don't actually espouse our values. If we were to put like Jesus' teachings on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1, you know, is like, you know, be nice, <laughs> and 10 is like the very worst, uh, hardest, teaching in which we're like, Jesus, come on, back off. This is too much. This is like a level 11. Because judging someone else oftentimes is reactive and it is not intentional. Like I can judge you in a moment and know I shouldn't be judging you. It just happens, right? It just happens. I was... Driving home last night, had the kids in the car. I was thinking about the sermon. I was thinking about, um, gosh, how do we lay this out on Easter Sunday? And, man, I just wish I could get across to people. Man, we just need to think more highly of other people. And about that moment, a car cut me off. And you know what I did? I did not think highly of them. I mean, I do what you all do. 
I watched them. I gave them the eye. I get. I didn't. I didn't salute them. I didn't say number one. You know. I, so I, I held. I kept myself in check. I don't do that. But I, in my heart, I was judging that person is a no good. I bet they steal from work. <laughs> I bet. I bet they kick puppies when they walk by. You know how it goes. This. But that's what judging does. See, when I cut somebody off, and I know it, and I get the look, I'm like, oh, you don't understand. I've got this serious thing on my mind, and I know I wouldn't, I'm so sorry, and oh, this, you know, I, I got all the reasons why I should not be judged at the moment. But when we're the one judging, all that goes away. You're bad. You've got serious, significant character flaws. And in Christian circles, we bring Jesus along for the ride, and we say, and Jesus is on my side. How in the world do we love other people in that kind of an environment? What does it mean to judge? It literally means to decide between two or more things, but Jesus, what he's talking about here is when we look down on people, He's also going to use the word hypocrite. So a judge is literally the person who, who looks down on other people because they don't uphold our values. A hypocrite is when we look down on someone else and we don't even uphold our own values. And in Jesus' teachings, one of the things we have to be aware of is Jesus is teaching Christians. And what it means to be a Christian. Or that word is, has become almost meaningless today. So what he's teaching on is the kingdom. And what it looks like if you want to be a part of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And he's saying, do not look down on others when they have failed. Because when you, if you choose to look down on others when they fail, then you need to be prepared for everyone else to look down on you when you fail. And you are going to have to be held to the same standard in which you hold them. And so when I look at the guy who cuts me off and like, you know, he probably kicks puppies when he walks by. At the end of the day, really what judging does is we want everyone else to give us the benefit of the doubt, but judging gives no one else the benefit of the doubt. I don't know what's going on in their life. Probably has nothing to do with driving. I mean, that was a, that's a silly example. When we get to really serious places in life, serious failures where there's real hurt, what we have a tendency to do is we tend to lump and stereotype and we put people in a box in which they are all bad and I am all good. And Jesus is calling us out. You are not all good. Like the guy who's cutting in front of me has a speck in his eye, but you, Mark, you have a, you have a log in yours. Like you're, you know you're way worse than anyone else you know. And he calls us out. What does it mean to judge? It means I have figured you out. You're not complex. There's something wrong with you. And Jesus thinks so too because he's on my side. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Now, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago we talked about oaths, and, and oaths were not simply about keep your word, and oaths um, were, and not using the Lord's name in vain was not simply about cuss words. 
Uh, it was trying to take the divinity and the holiness and the glory and the power of God to reinforce yourself in front of others. Don't do that, Jesus said. And he's doing the exact same thing here. When you judge, you say you've got Jesus on your side and you're less than. Don't do that. You cannot have Jesus on your side because you have a log in your eye. So how do we understand that with the resurrection? And I think that we understand this teaching through the resurrection in which every one of us has to look in the mirror and recognize Jesus had to die because of me. Every one of us has to do that. There's not a level of maturity in which you no longer are that person. You are that person. I am that person. We are those people. And so when a group of people come together recognizing we are messed up, sinful, broken people, the the way to, to put a bomb in the middle of it all is to begin deciding who's better than others. We begin to make arguments of value based on behavior. James 4, James talks about this, and um, we're pretty sure that this is James, the brother of Jesus, who's been watching Jesus his entire life. He said this, he said, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So what James does is he takes this teaching from Jesus and he just puts a little more flesh around it. Uh, we're really good about changing our language. <laughs> like, so we won't use the word judge. I'm speaking into your life. <laughs> that sounds way better, doesn't it? He says, speak evil or to speak against. But ultimately, there is only one lawgiver and judge. I think it's important if we're going to walk through this to also understand what it doesn't mean to judge. Jesus cannot be saying we ignore a lack of holiness, character, or integrity within the church. He cannot be saying that because Jesus teaches too intently on this everywhere else in Scripture. He cannot be saying let just let everybody do whatever they want to do and you worry about yourself because that is not how a healthy community forms. In fact, Jesus will go on and he will teach specifically on what happens when there's conflict in the church and conflict requires accountability. Conflict requires you going to the person you have a conflict with and saying, we've got, we've got to figure this out. And if they won't talk to you and they won't listen to you, then you go get somebody else to come with you that's a witness to this. And they come and, and then you both talk to the individual. And if they still won't talk to you about this egregious whatever has happened, then you go to the church and the whole church tries to deal with it. And if still the person will not um, budge at all, then you're to treat them like they're not even a believer. Jesus is very intent that when there's conflict in the church, we need to deal with it ourselves. He's also very clear in the apostles, and no one more than Paul is clear, that if someone is, is causing chaos or, or unhealth within the church, they need to be held accountable. 
So there's a level of accountability that must be had in any group of people that ascribes to the same values. But judging is different. And there is only one judge. There is only one lawgiver. And it, it helps us to see this in the context in which Jesus, who will judge one day, never did judge while he was here walking in the flesh. And we have example after example after example of this. For example, the woman caught caught in adultery. Do you remember what he said to her? Woman, where are your accusers? I judge you not. But go and sin no more. See, there's something nefarious about judging that is different than accountability. And there's a place that accountability holds only because we share good values and we say those values are good. For example, we ought to love one another. Well, man, you're being a jerk to everybody. We should talk about that. Well, maybe we won't use those words. But there's a place in which when we share values, we're holding each other accountable to those values because we believe they are good, they lead to good things, and by not living by those values, that leads to bad things, unhealthy things, sad things. But there is a bit of an art in holding accountable without judging. And Jesus, I think, gives us, gives us a secret to that. And that is simply this, recognize that you have a beam in your own eye. Recognize you have a problem. So what's Jesus' point here? The greatest commandments are to love God and love each other. Everything else he's going to teach about is, uh, is on that. It is about loving God and loving each other. Everything in the Bible is about that. That's the whole law. That's the whole teaching of Scripture. That's everything. And he recognizes that we equally bear the image of God. So the person that right now in your mind is like, yeah, I get what you're saying, Mark, but that guy or that girl, like, I mean, they're really, I mean, I think they probably deserve some judging. They are equal bearers of God's image. And God views us on that foundational level, which makes us all equal in God's eyes. We are also equally sinful. We are also equally in need of a Savior. We are equally loved. And Jesus died equally for us on the cross. We equally bear God's image. I think another part of what Jesus' point here is, uh, don't do to other people what you hate for people to do to you. He's actually going to say this later. We, we call it the golden rule. Like, don't treat people the way you don't want to be treated. And who among us likes to be judged? And, and honestly, it's such a nefarious sin that we, like, we judge people who are judgy, right? It's like, oh, at least I'm not judging, but you are. And in so doing, we judge, right? It's just that, it's that response and that reaction. We just so easily slip into this place in, in, in which we feel like we're somehow better than someone else. And Jesus would say, well, so here's the thing I want you to understand. Number one, you can't see clearly because you've got a big log in your eye, which clearly is hyperbole, right? If you have a log in your eye, what's the one thing we know about you? 
you're dead. Like, you're dead, right? This is clearly hyperbole. You can't see. Now, it, it doesn't mean that the speck's not there. As if you're imagining a speck's there. You will see in the lives of other people problems that are unhealthy and lead to unhealth. And you're going to have to decide, how do I deal with that? And Jesus would say, first, deal with the big old log in your eye. Then maybe you can help them with their speck because they do need help with that speck. But you're no help until you deal with your own junk. So deal with your own junk. If I were to retitle this sermon and to say, what is this all about? What is Jesus saying? Deal with your junk before you help somebody else's with theirs. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? That's the way he talks. I mean, that's, that's the kind of things he says. That's why people get so mad at him. And that's why people who uphold the law do not like him. And decided... Somewhere around this day, 2,000 years ago, we need to get rid of this guy. He threatens everything we love, because we love to judge others. She says, don't do that. Now, the point isn't the arbitrary lists of do's and don'ts, and we've talked about this a number of times throughout this sermon. Jesus is not giving us an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. Jesus is saying there is a way that is good And it is not good to be in a community where you are all looking down upon each other. That's not good. And we don't even need Jesus for that, do we? We can can figure that one out for ourselves, but we don't. Somehow we take the gospel and we don't see it as this dynamic lifestyle in which it changes every facet of our life, every moment in which we breathe, this Jesus thing. It changes us. And instead, we just pick our list of do's and don'ts. We, and, and typically we pick the ones, the do's that we like and the don'ts that we don't like. And we put them arbitrarily on other people as judgment. And we feel somehow God is pleased with us for doing that. And yet what we do is we take unbelievers and we push them away from this Jesus who wrote in the sand and said, where are your, where are your judges? Because even I'm not here to judge you. But would they know that from us? Would a person who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't know Scripture, would they know that from us? Would they know that Easter for us is about we have been forgiven for our sin? And how great is our sin? Are we known for that? Or are we known for, oh, how great is your sin? I don't think we would have to poll too many people who don't confess to be Christians to ask them which one they think we're more about. Do we demonstrate this beautiful acceptance of Jesus that in the midst of our sin He loves us and He died for us? Or do we communicate, you're you're just not good enough for my God. You're not as good as me. And in that hypocrisy, we push people away from the most beautiful gift that's ever been given. We can't see clearly is one of our problems. The reality is, is we both need help. You know, it doesn't take very much in your eye to be really bothersome. I was mowing my grass last night. I was telling a few people this morning it was 10 o'clock at night because it took me longer than I thought. I thought my neighbors hate me. 
10 o'clock at night, still weed eating. And then, but I felt overall fine because my yard was the worst in the neighborhood. And I felt like they were glad that at least for Easter Sunday, my yard didn't look like, you know, they could park their old rust bucket cars in the front, you know, because that's kind of how my house looked. And, uh, but, uh, you know, those bugs that get in the grass and then when you mow through them, they like come up in a swarm and they swarm around you at 10 o'clock at night. Little known fact, it's not much sun out. And so I had my little headlamp so I could see. Those things are attracted to light, which was on my head, right next to my eyes. And so I had mowed and I was weed eating, and I guess they, they're attracted to tall grass. So they had left the rest of my yard and they had gone all into the area that needed to be weed eated. And so I have my headlamp on and I'm weed eating down through here, and I hit a patch of them, and they, and now, Usually they kind of fly around you and they fly away, but a little known fact, if you have a headlamp on, that's not what happens. They go, ooh, it's a light, and they stay there, and they swarm your head forever. And so they're getting in my eyes, and they're getting in my mouth, and I'm eating these bugs, and it's just a bad experience. It doesn't matter how big the speck is, any small little thing that's in your eye is very troublesome. And we need help getting the speck out of each other's eyes, but we can't do it until we deal with our own junk. Can't do it. Our primary need in community is not to look for the faults of others, but to love others. This is the second greatest commandment that is like the first. Our calling is to love others. Our kids are coming back in. They're going to take communion with us. If they would like parents, if you would like for them to. Let me wrap this up, and then we're going to do communion together. With the very last part of this, just let me give it just a minute. Verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And exactly what is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus has just used hyperbole to talk about a beam in your eye. Now he's He's moved to this talking about giving dogs pearls and pigs pearls. Like, if you throw a bunch of pearls down to pigs, you need, like, I love you, but you need some help. Like, you don't, pigs don't need pearls. They don't even want pearls, right? What in the world is Jesus saying here? And, And I just think he's emphasizing the point. This teaching is for people who have chosen to follow Jesus. Why in the world do we hold people that do not hold to the same values as us? Why do we hold them to that standard? And when we enter the gospel, when we introduce the gospel on the level of expectation to hold to our values, when they don't even know what our values are about, that just pushes them away. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. This teaching, like all the rest of his teachings, this is about the kingdom. If you don't want to be have anything to do with the kingdom, these don't apply to you. This is for the kingdom. That's all I'm going to say about that. We'll address that later. Um, we've got a few more, few more weeks in this series. We'll address that later. But I think that's really what he's saying when we read that. We're like, I don't know what that means. I think a lot of times we take that. That has... His, his imagery of dogs and pigs, which I, I bet you real money 
Um, there were dogs and pigs around them when he's given this sermon, which is why he picked dogs and pigs. That's how Jesus taught. Jesus walking on down a road. Hey, the kingdom of God. It's like this sower who went out to sow, and over there, there's you know rocky ground, and I think there was probably rocky ground right next to him. And over there, there was good soil, and I think there was probably good soil right next to him. And then some of the seed fell on, fell on the road. And I, he was literally probably on a road when he's teaching his disciples. This is how Jesus teaches. He just grabs what's ever there. And I, I bet you real money that there was a dog running around and there were pigs running around. Maybe not running, you know. I don't know, laying in the mud. I don't know what they were doing. But I bet they were around. And he said, listen, don't take this stuff in these pearls and throw them down to the pigs and to the dogs but what we have a tendency to do whenever we completely miss this teaching and we become super judgy is we go yeah i'm not throwing my pearl before those swine and we start calling unbelievers swine which gosh i've heard lots of christians do that and oh what makes a person want to follow your jesus it doesn't jesus is nowhere here assigning value to a group of people that have not espoused the values of the kingdom the value he espoused to those people was made evident with him on the cross. That was his value of people, even those who have decided not to be a part of the kingdom. He's not calling them pigs. He's using an object lesson to say, this is important for followers of Jesus. Here's what I want to do this morning. Easter is a, certainly a moment of celebration. It is time for us to celebrate and to understand the great gift that Jesus has given us, but it's also a time for us to recognize that Jesus did that because of our sin. We celebrated Thursday night with some other churches. It was just a beautiful worship service. Uh, just, gosh, one of my favorite worship moments I've ever been in. And we celebrated and we took communion together to remember and we're going to do that this morning. We took communion especially thinking about the cost of our sin because that's what put Jesus on the cross. And I want us to do two things today. I want, us to, I want to give you just a moment, a moment for confession. And I'm not going to ask you to confess out loud, although I will tell you this, when you really get the teachings of Jesus, you will begin to be willing to confess out loud because you will be in a group of people that handled that carefully and in a, in a way that leads to health and restoration, not in a way that leads to judgment. It's just that most of us don't have friends like that. And that's a real shame because that's what the church is supposed to be. So I'm not going to ask you to, to vote. We're not going to do like a public confession um, of prayer, um, but you can do it quietly right where you are. I just want to do this for a moment. I want us to recognize that we're taking communion. We're recognizing what Jesus did on that cross and that he rose from the tomb this morning on Easter Sunday. But I want us to enter into this with a very sobering realization that he did this because I have a log in my eye and he loved me anyways. He loved me anyways. So if you just take a moment, just, just prayerful, quiet, for just you to express your thankfulness, but also if there is, is, a, is something you need to confess before God, you can do that just in this moment and come to this table in a way in which you have confessed all that you must confess to Him and He is faithful to forgive you of your sins. Let's take just a quiet moment together.
I'll close this in prayer, and then um, I'll give you instructions for how we're taking communion this morning. Let's pray.